You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. Hear what you've been missing. Audix is proud to introduce the new line of dynamic closed-back headphones designed for audio professionals and audiophiles to deliver the most accurate sound possible. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Sweet. Welcome back. Hey, Michael. Hey, Chris. It's hey, buddy. Cool. It's cool to be here. <laughs> I'm at the uh, beautiful, friendly temple here in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I think we got a really good show tonight, and I'm glad that we got to do the video portion with you guys. Um, tonight, we're going to have Steve and Fred from Audix on. They got this cool new thing, and, and it came about. I sent Chris and Michael a message, and Obviously, there are measurement gurus on SPL, and um, I thought they had a really interesting product that's coming out soon, if not now, by the time you watch this video. Um, basically, what they can do is uh, measure your IEMs and headphones through a little device that Audix is going to be releasing. So tonight, from Portland, Oregon, home of Disarray and Voodoo Donuts, hmm. Steve and Fred from Audix. Welcome to Thanks, the show. Kyle. Appreciate it. Good to see you again. Glad to have you, man. It's been yep. too long. It has. It has. Kyle and I have a, a long and uh, dark history together. We worked at a couple manufacturers together. The church. And, yes. The church. Yes. yes. But, uh, uh, and actually one, uh, we both freelanced for the same uh, independent company down in, in Phoenix, albeit at different times. So, yeah, we, uh, we've crossed paths a few times through the years. One thing to clarify, though, we're in Wilsonville, which is Portland, not Portland proper per se. It's the south end of Portland, just off I-5 here. So you drive about another, what, 10 minutes or so, and you're in, you're in Hayfields. So <laughs> we, uh, it's very much business parks and industrial area where we're at. We're far away from the goings-on in downtown, which have been going on for way too long. But Diet, uh, diet Portland, we like to call exactly, it. Exactly. But you have a piano. Yeah, first, I think first guest to have a piano on the show. So well, that's cool. You brought your piano with you. This is the Audix Performance Room. And uh, we're, we're working on ways to use this more and more. It's a beautiful space, high ceilings. They've recorded. There, at one time, there was a full recording studio in here that uh, did several projects. So uh, it's a unique space. And uh, we just cleaned it up a little bit, threw on the stage lights. And uh, don't play the piano, though, because it's very much out of tune. But it is a beautiful, beautiful instrument. That's what, that's what MIDI is for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> MIDI, MIDI. And also, you know, the other uh, advantage of the video format for those who are watching this episode on the video is that you can see the progress of Kyle's beard. It's coming along quite nicely, actually. You're quite, you guys are the second people to mention it today. I, I figured since we just launched uh, stuff on the ProSound web website uh, on our own Signal to Noise little, little page and some merch, this is uh, the beard I'm going to grow until we sell our first shirt. And... <laughs> Remember, uh, some of the some of the proceeds are going to be going to our friends over at the clinic. Um, they've they've been awesome to us, and they're definitely being awesome to those who are out of work. And uh, it's cool to have them on board. As and, and uh, hopefully we sell a shirt or possibly a sticker. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get you. We're gonna get you the leggings. Uh, so I, I think you know for, for 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 those who aren't following along on what the Facebook and and whatnot, we have an official home here now. Uh, signal to noise podcast.com, right? Chris, yeah, is that what absolutely. it is? Yep. We have a real website, y'all. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty neat. And uh, you can go there and uh, you can see what we got going on. We have a, um, an upcoming up, so we're going to be doing a, a book giveaway for y'all. And there's a picture of Kyle up on there, and uh, you know, you can get your signal noise t shirt and sticker. And uh, like, like uh, Kyle said, we're going to be uh, supporting the the clinic with that so so go and check out our new digs man i'm pretty excited yeah. about it Th big thank you to the whole ProSign web team especially sam for putting that together for us we got some real uh some tech gurus <laughs> behind the Damn. scenes here they have, they have to deal with us <laughs> so, that's good. so that's cool so let's uh let's jump in man this is you know i gotta i gotta tell you this is right in the wheelhouse for me because uh i think our regular listeners know that i've spent pretty much 
the last year and change of my life down the SPL rabbit hole. And, and uh, a lot of people say, well, how do we look at hearing loss from IEMs? And we don't know how loud they are. And we don't know how loud they are. That's sort of a big, uh, a big hole. In, in we can measure PA. We can measure monitors. We can't measure IEMs right now. Um, we don't even know what they do. They, you, just, you just put these things in their ear and they make sound. Like, they make your nose itch. Uh, and and they, so. This thing is better than this other thing. And, and now we have a way to actually visualize that, right? right? So, so let's, uh, let's jump in, Steve. Why don't you uh, show us what we have here? Tell, tell, us, uh, tell us about the, the deal, man. Well, in, in, in pursuant to what you're talking about there, you know, the, the whole hearing uh, loss concerns, uh, you know, what are you really handing that artist? You know, are you for sure that that system is always working? How, what is your SOP every night before a show to ensure that that thing's working? You know, uh, talking about, you know, some of uh, the history Kyle and I have, one of the big shows I, I uh, helped out with before I left Phoenix was uh, Wynonna uh, Judd was in town for an event and a big sold out thing, you know, $250 a plate kind of thing. And in-ears were just kind of coming, you know, becoming more and more the norm at that point a few years ago. And I'm helping um, helping with the uh, the main monitor guy, and I'm wiring up Winona with her in-ears. I'm thinking to myself, God, I hope these things work like they did in Soundcheck. Um, and, and and that was one thing that kind of came to mind. And then coming here to join Audex, uh, talking with Fred about the development that we're, we're doing with headphones and earphones, because we, as you know, we offer headphones and earphones. That's a kind of a new thing for us. Fred started to tell me some of the, you know, the test and measurement aspects that went into, you know, that whole development process and what he encountered in trying to get specifically with earphones and IEMs, trying to get consistent results and, uh, you know, repeatable results, even with the most high-end test gear. Some of this stuff I had never heard of. Uh, uh, I'm a I'm a smart uh, novice. I've been to two of Chris's rational classes, and uh, I don't get to use it enough to be proficient in it. I can fake my way through it and, and get a transfer function measurement going and all that. But when I walked in and saw some of Fred's stuff, you know, he, of course, has audio precision gear and things like that. But he has some brands of stuff and some other things that I had never heard of that are off the charts in regards to, uh, you know, their accuracy and so forth. So maybe I'll let Fred kind of explain what 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 came around to, you know, what what would you encounter that 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 led you to come up with something like this? Uh, <clears throat> very briefly, uh, I received a call from a from an old friend uh, years and years ago. And what he was running into was pretty much the same thing you were describing. They didn't really know uh, how well the IEMs were working from evening to evening. And when they sent him out and, and they got him back, they were not sure what they were getting. So what he wanted at the time was an interface between uh, RTM-1, uh, a film can type arrangement, uh, so they could put the uh, in-ear monitors in there. We worked on that, but it really did not work the way I really hoped. So the TM1 is really uh, part of that start, that project started then. But when we started our uh, IEM, our own IEM product development and the headphones, and we have equipment from B&K and so on that you touched on, and we realized that the stuff is quite good. It really is the standard lab standard for development. But what it led to is thinking, how are we going to utilize this stuff for production? And then, of course, uh, my uh, discussions with uh, Mark Frank at the time, who was the person who, who contacted us, started kind of bringing back those memories uh, as to what he wanted. So now we were actually engaged in doing IEMs, and it, it was a much better medium for us to really understand what the pro sound guys, as well as other people, as far as product development and so on, really needed. So that's how the TM2 uh, came about. And I just want to clarify for people who maybe aren't familiar, the TM1 is your, your measurement microphone, Correct. your omnidirectional reference mic basically so if anyone's not familiar with that model that's a uh one of the you know the relatively common uh measurement mics that you run into people carry around with their smart rigs and stuff so uh tm1 and now we're talking about the tm2 <laughs> exactly you know so being able to get something that's repeatable something that um you know is uh 
designed to work with different types, different brands, different nozzle exit sizes of the various IEMs. So uh, when you get when you get the TM1, you get several things. It comes in a nifty little carrying case here um, with a calibration file, which I'll go into in a minute, uh, and then four different nozzles. So three to fit the most popular IEM nozzle sizes. What sizes are those that come with it, Fred? Uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, all. As far as brands go, uh, Sure and uh, Weststone and so on have nozzles uh, roughly in the three millimeter range, eighth inch. And then Sennheiser, ours, and several others uh, are in the six to seven millimeter range. So two of those are designed to work with probably uh, 80 to 90 percent of the uh, commercially available off the shelf uh, IEMs. And then the last uh, uh, piece that comes with it, the last adapter piece, is actually set up to work with standard size calibrators. And uh, being able to put this on the TM2, set up a standard calibrator with it, and be able to get a reference at that point of what is 94 dB, typical output of a calibrator, then allows you to know that the system overall is in calibration and what you're looking at in the SPL measurements and SMART are, um, are what you're sending that performer at that point. Because the TM2 represents um, basically the, the, the depth of the ear cavity. I mean, it's the same Correct. essential volume. Correct. Yep. There was some thought that went into that too, right, Fred? Yes. Uh, yeah, significant amount went into the uh, internal design of the TM TM2 as far as the chamber goes, um, which you cannot simply do with a empty chamber. You cannot create that, that impedance uh, with just a basic chamber. When you look at lab grade, I think uh, uh, you folks mentioned the uh, 7-Eleven uh, type uh, couplers, or that was mentioned. Those types of couplers have a very complex internal mechanical structure. There's chambers in there, there's cavities in there, and that's all meant to basically get very close to uh, emulating the human ear. And that's really what took the most time as far as the development of of the TM2 because what we were hoping to do with the TM2 is to get it as close as possible to the performance of a lab grade uh, uh, coupler. Uh, so when a sound uh, when a sound engineer or uh, someone in the factory wants to take this data and send it back to uh, to a lab or to a manufacturer that does use lab grade equipment that the results that they get are going to be very, very close to what they see from the lab-grade couplers. Talk about the calibration file just a little bit, if that's okay. Um, you guys who have dealt with SMART and have uh, got microphones like the TM1 or other high-quality you know, test and measurement microphones are usually provided with a calibration file. And we also provide one with the TM2. It's a little bit different take on it. Can you explain what the calibration file allows you to do in for just matching up multiple units, like if you had multiple units out on a tour. Well, <clears throat> this this was really this took a little bit of uh, of uh, struggle, and uh, <laughs> because we're all very much familiar with this calibration file that is that gives you this flat line, twenty to twenty k, and hopefully with very little variation there. But that's not what the ear represents as we see in some of these charts up here. So what we had to do is make a selection as to what we're going to calibrate to. And in recent years, <clears throat> and I think uh, uh, BNK is, is, is introducing or will be introducing soon their high resolution calibrator. But prior to them, uh, Grass, which is the Gunnar Rasmussen group, when he left BNK, he started Grass. They had developed a high-resolution uh, coupler, and we have several of those here. And those are model RA0401 and 0402s. They're virtually identical. And those products were developed specifically because uh, the in-ear monitors were no longer hearing aids. They're actually high-fidelity you know, high products. And the typical 711-type uh, couplers have a limited frequency response. The RA0401, 0402s have an extended response that goes out to pretty close to 20K. So that's what we chose to calibrate that to calibrate our uh, TM2 against. So that's what the calibrator 
sorry, the, the file represents. Cool. And I want to, I think I want to lay a little foundation for folks who maybe don't have as much of a foundation in test and measurement stuff, kind of what we're talking about here. So they have a little bit of context for it. Um, I, I think most people are somewhat familiar with the idea of um, a transfer function measurement where you're putting a microphone out in the space that's covered by your PA and you're basically asking the software, okay, I'm going to show you the signal that I'm sending into my PA, and then I want you to look at what the mic's picking up, and I want you to tell me how similar they are. Um, and so it's, it's, it's basically uh, it's a comparative measurement that just says, all right, well, we're taking a look at what, what this system is doing to the signal. How, how faithfully is it reproducing its, its signal? Um, and we can do that for floor monitors. Um, and we're talking about, for the first time, being able to do that um, in an accessible way for headphones and inner monitors, um, you, you've basically created what can be thought of as a as a reference microphone for inner monitors, um, and that's that's kind of where that goes in the measurement loop. And I also think it's worth you know uh, explaining that like like you're talking about. I mean, uh, there are high end lab grade rigs out there, like Grass, uh, our friends at Audio Precision uh, make these rigs. They're they're fantastic. They're lab grade. They're very, very expensive because they're lab grade. And so while they're fantastic for R&D, they're not something that's accessible for your typical touring monitor engineer, for example, or a rental house or something like that, or even a band, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, so what you guys are talking about, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're basically allowing a whole, you're allowing uh, a much larger uh, group of our industry to have access to this tool where they can measure IEMs. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, Steve, you and I talked briefly about this the other day, but something that I think we can get into um, talking about, uh, you know, not just, hey, I want to see what the response of my IEMs is, because as, as you pointed out, and as I think you're going to show us as we go forward here, the goal is not to get a flat line on the screen. That doesn't sound good to, to us as humans for, for a variety of reasons that, you know, you've touched on. Um to me, the the consistency is a really big thing here, right? So when I have an artist who says, hey, I'm having trouble hearing, I think my, my IEMs might be acting up, you know, do we need to clean them? Are you getting a good seal? Are they broken? Um, the fact that every night I can hand my artist their IEMs and I know that they're going to sound the same they sounded last night um, is is a big thing. And that's something that we don't even think twice about when we do it with the PA system. Of course, we check our PA every night, but you know, the idea of why don't we check our monitors? Kyle, you look like you had a... I thought there. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because now you're going to be able to hold those companies that do IEMs and headphones accountable for what they're getting. And there might be more of a, a standard to what things are going to sound like. Mm -hmm. And and the very first time that Steve and I talked about this, the other cool thing was, is what if you had some gunk in your left one and no gunk in your right one? You know, you might not be able to tell that by visually inspecting your IEM. So this is something that's going to be a lifesaver. Or if you have a cable problem, you know, which are all easy things. Yep. There's uh, all those variables can be pretty quickly diagnosed, you know, uh, and I, you want to go through the, some of the setup slides here uh, and uh, it kind of will explain what I think would be a, a pretty typical scenario. This, I, I even refer back to this all the time um, is just a quick, you know, thing to explain to people that uh, this is how a typical smart rig is set up. You've got various pick points where you can uh, check your references uh, against those microphones in the room. You, know, you can elaborate on that a little bit too. I, that's still a current drawing, right? <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's close enough. Um, so yeah, the whole idea is like you said, Steve, we're talking about a, a, you know, a, a comparative measurement here. So yeah. we're not just grabbing a single signal and running it into an RTA. We're, we're looking at, as the signal moves through the system, goes through our various components, how faithfully is it reproduced or how faithfully exactly. is it transmitted or if it's changed, how is it changed? And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about uh, different IEM models that have, they're built to have different tonal characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. We're just trying to quantify that and, and be able to, you know, I, I want to know that. I want to know if my drummer's on a model that has, you know, 70B more low end than what I'm queuing off of. Um, as the person who has to do their mixes or, you know, another thing that we can talk about, uh, my lead singer has some hearing loss. She's yep. older. So I need to make sure that the model that she's using is going to, uh, you know, work well for, for her natural hearing response. So what you're talking about is um, a way to characterize that. Yep. 
So there's, this is, that's a typical loudspeaker setup. To show that same drawing now as it would uh, pertain to IEM testing, it's really, uh, it's the same but even more simple. Uh, you know, you've still got some type of interface, and that interface could be a digital console functioning as a USB interface or a standalone interface like I have set up here on the table. Um, in the IEMs, uh, you're, you're feeding them either through a, uh, you know, a wireless transmitter or some type of headphone amplifier, or in the case of the uh, uh, USB interfaces like I have here on the table, we're just taking the headphone out, easy enough. And then the reference, uh, instead of a reference microphone at that point, we're plugging into the TM2 and treating it just like the reference microphone in that scenario. Of course, the IEMs would be plugged into one of the appropriate uh, adapters and screwed onto the top of the TM2. That's pretty self-explanatory. Is this a is this a passive unit, or are we hitting it with phantom power? How does that work? It does require phantom power. Yes. Cool. Yep. So uh, to break that down a little bit more, just because people have probably seen it uh, from the video feed here, this is what's going on on the table. Uh, and I'm not promoting anybody's USB interface. It just happens to be the one that. Uh, I use in my garage recording studio. Um, the, you know, with this interface, I don't have any, the ability to do any internal patching like you might be able to do inside a digital console for your reference loop. So I have a hard patch here, and you see how smart has it configured there. I have TM the TM2 in microphone input number one, and I have my reference loop back in uh, input number two, and then the uh, the IEM, the device under test, as we call it. Is being fed out of the uh, out of the headphone output of the uh, of the audio interface, and then just to expand on that a little bit more. In case anybody wants to duplicate this within Smart, here is my output settings, and of course I need one output of my generator assigned back to that output that's being uh, looped back through for the reference. And then in Smart, you've got the auxiliary output, which is feeding three and four respectively. I can toggle those in the signal generator screen. So I'm testing them individually. I can just click between left and right uh, for whichever one I might be testing. And that's my little setup with a, uh, you know, just a two-channel USB interface. Obviously, you could do something much more cool in, uh, in a digital audio console where you could, you know, you could patch and, you know, have that back through USB, any of that I.O. on a larger digital console. Yeah, that's that's cool. And as you were talking, um, you know, there's a couple. So the consistency benefit to me is is, is a big one um, in the fact that I mix a band that uses three different models of ears between them. And, and you know, um, I have no idea how how that translates to them. But um, the fact that we can calibrate this thing for SPL and, you know, smart has a has a, a, an increasingly robust tool set for measuring SPL. And most importantly to me, measuring exposure. Right. Um is this safe is a big deal, a really big deal with IEMs. Um, and so the fact that we can now quantify, okay, hand me your pack and I'm going to, I'm going to run this through at the level that, that you run your pack at. And I'm going to get a, get an idea of is this safe for you or not? And we can have that conversation. Um, but also, uh, we can run an M noise test. Now we can look at we can look at the linearity of these IEMs and maybe, you know, that that's, that's one of the things we need to look at where, you know the drummer. The drummer's driving his pack hard because he's sitting in front of a loud drum kit, and at that at that level, he's getting some breakup. He's getting some distortion. He's having some issues. We can detect that stuff with with an M noise test, like we would do for a loudspeaker now. So, I mean, th this really brings uh, a lot of very useful things to the table that I'm going to use to try to diagnose, uh, you know, problems and, and make sure that my artists are protected and all that stuff. So if you, the screen I'm sh sharing right now, this is actually running live. So uh, this is smart running through this interface, measuring a set of the Audix uh, A10 IEMs. And, um, you know, it's pretty well-behaved phase wrap. That, that's a whole separate discussion. We could have spent a whole episode on that because <laughs> that varies dramatically between single driver units like ours and multiple driver units. And you see the magnitude there. But most importantly, take a look at the uh, SPL. So the way I set that up is I took the nozzle for the calibrator uh, and put that on the TM2, ran the um, ran the uh, uh, the, the uh, calibration setup thing here in Smart, so that I had reference back to 94 and verified it because it showed up 94 with the calibrator stuck on it. Put the TM2 adapter back on for that particular IEM. And I know for a fact now that I am, whenever I adjust that headphone level, which would be the same as you adjusting that send level, that's what I'm giving that, um, that performer 
if this were in their ear. So 103, 104, whatever, you know, you can set that up and now have a visual. And I, this is relatively new. I haven't really thought through all the scenarios in a digital console, how you could set this up on a Q bus. Obviously, they're, if they're on wireless IEMs, you have their own level control. So if what you're feeding them, um, you know, you're watching it and you queue it up like that, it may not be entirely accurate if they have their pack turned down, right? But you still got some point of reference that you never had before from the SBL standpoint. Well, I think, you know, I can talk about the experience I've had with artists, which is with a lot of them, you know, once they get comfortable, they're pretty, they, there's a certain kind of spot on their pack where they're at cruising speed and they kind of, they kind of sit there. Um, and so that's a situation where after rehearsal, I'd say, give me your pack, don't touch the knob. We're going to measure it where you had it. And we're going to get an idea of, you know, what levels you're, you're pulling through here and, and how safe that is. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's one part of it. But also I think, uh, the fact that, you know, if you, if you, you can pull that backwards and you can correlate that value at the pack to the level that's leaving the console, the mix bus. And so, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's conceivable to me to have a bunch of meters up, a bunch of exposure meters, right? A bunch of NIOSH meters for every artist on your stage and be keeping an eye on, on what their levels are like. So, yeah, I mean, this is, um, it's definitely, it, it sort of closes the loop in a way that, uh, this is, this was always, something that was a big concern for me, which was, um, it, you know, something as simple as if you don't get a good seal on your IEMs, um, you're turning that pack up and you can really get into a dangerous situation really quick. Or the people that pull one year out, uh, that's a bad, <laughs> that's oh, a nasty, a nasty yeah. habit there. Yeah. Um, so the fact that we can, we can uh, quantify this, I think is, is going to be a, a, you know, I don't use this phrase lightly, but I think it's really going to change the game uh, for a lot of uh, modern engineers, especially when the dialogue in our industry is moving ever more towards hearing health, safety, that type of thing. Yep. You don't even have to look for blood anymore, Michael. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no more bleeding eardrums. Yeah, you don't yeah. even have to, like, if it's dark and the light isn't pointing at them, you don't even have to look for blood anymore. Well, and then the other last thing I want to mention about that, just thinking it through in, in various things I've been through through it, through the years, I think it'd be handy to, uh, again, since there's never been a point of reference for that artist, you could then you could create, for instance, 96 dB and, sh and hand these to them and say, you know, at this level, this is 96 dB, Mr. Artist. Do you ever want it to be louder than this? Well, you really shouldn't because over, you know, give them the information about the prolonged exposure to a level at that. So that would be good for about how long before damage would occur. Oh, I think, uh, what is it? 116 is about 15 minutes. So yeah. 106, maybe an hour or so. It's, yeah, that's, that, those yeah, are if you're, if you're going by OSHA, they say 105A is an hour. If you, if you're going by NIOSH, which is like what, you should be following if you don't want to actually damage yourself. 94A is an hour. So it goes quick, you know, and yeah. that's, that's why this stuff's important. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, at that point, you'd have a reference of that. You could show them that. And uh, right. I think that would put the fear, the, put a little fear in them. Right. And uh, actually having that, acknowledge yeah. you know, how loud is loud. Right. Yeah. It, so, it, you know, Michael, it makes me think it would be interesting to have like um, uh, a second pack with your artist um, that you're running this the entire show, run SPL timeline history at the same time. And and you can show them that the NIOSH and the SPL timeline across that show and what the effects they had. I mean, obviously, the only variable being if they adjusted their volume and maybe figure out what to kind of track that. Um, but that'd be an interesting um, yeah, study. For sure. And, and like I said, my artists in particular, once they get comfortable, they're not really tweaking. They're, 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 they're asking me for like 1 dB adjustments on a certain input or something. So they're not really cruising around too much with that. So I think – and I think – I don't know. Maybe, Kyle, I don't know what your experience has been. But, but I mean, they, people seem to sit pretty well with that pack knob. They don't seem to be cranking it all over the place once you get them comfortable. Um, yeah, but what do you have for references? I mean, when we first started doing IEMs, everyone would go to the same audiologist and get molds and get the same exact things. Yeah. Now people are showing up with different brands. And that, and that's where I'm saying, like, this, being able to show someone this will give the actual manufacturer's accountability to yep. what their response is going to be. So maybe we'll have a baseline. You know, there won't be... I had to put it out there, but there won't be a Beats headphones because they'll be able to see what what the thing's doing, and and that way, like as a monitor engineer, holy cow! I wish I would have this stuff. I mean, I might 
I, Steve's talked me into it. Now I got to go do a, a tour with this thing so I can actually see it for <laughs> myself because I think it's going to be optimum. Like I said, accountability for what the curve is going to be and troubleshooting. Like you said, that second pack for the queue so you could do research over a period of time um, for older artists. Obviously, you're going to be able to show them, hey, man, by the fifth song, you're deaf, bro. <laughs> and they're going to say what but no kyle what you said i mean i i so i got five five people in my six people in the band five mixes two of them share three different models of iams among that group and so the three of them have the same model that i use so i know exactly what's coming out of that thing because it's, it's what i'm hearing um you know, of course, talking about individuals hearing is a, is a different variable there. But but the other people, I, I actually had to put new tips on my lead vocalist ears and put them in my ears just to hear what the unit was producing, you know, in relationship to, to what I was hearing on the cue. And it was way different. Like that she had like an extra, it sounded like she had a 4 dB boost at 1K. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I know about that, you know. So this is where this takes away a lot of that kind of wiggle room where I can go, I know what my Cuba sounds like when I wear my ears and I can compare that to what I know is coming out of her ears and I can compensate for that at the desk. And so I know exactly what I need to do in her mix to get, to deliver her the mix that I'm actually creating. Right. And, and also, uh, another conversation we have, my artists are older, right. They're in their sixties. So we have, we have a lot of conversations about hearing loss and are you guys getting your audiograms? And I mean, they bring me their audiograms and we look at them. And if I know you have a certain thing going on again, I can incorporate that in the mix. So to me, this is about like dad. He's like, it's so cute. They call me Mikey. If you ever come to a, a gig, you'll you hear call me Mikey, which is funny. So, but. so, Steve, this would be a good point to show that graphic that we were talking about. Um, well, I, I do want to do that. I want to show one quick thing, Kyle, okay. not to steal your thunder here, but I think it's important uh, to mention, even uh, though we've been showing it in Smart and and because uh, I kind of know it. I, again, I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really any measurement software that can can do a transfer function you can get these results it needs to be pointed out i think the the shot on the screen there shows another good friend of the industry uh that's a andrew um who uh, has audio tools the ios app that's been out for several years continually improved and he's also got a neat little interface called the iaudio interface 2 which is a direct ios you plug it in with your lightning cable and uh, he's got a couple neat things there um the picture on the screen, if you're listening, it's <laughs> the same thing we just explained in smart, uh, can be done on an iPad, uh, with audio tools. Admittingly, you have to buy the in-app in purchase to do the, uh, uh, the two channel, the dual FFT, the, the, the transfer function little module, but, uh, if not, but, you just get snake and yeah. then snake will graduate to the next, you'll actually get the module. <laughs> There you go. Don't listen to me. I'm at church. <laughs> Point being, you can do this if you were a church, right? And you got, you know, uh, like I have over here on this actual setup here, these the, the, the inexpensive little KZs or whatever they drag into the church for use for the praise team. And you want to have a baseline measurement for those. Well, you can do it with uh, with an iPad, an interface, uh, and audio tools uh, or any any test and measurement software capable of, of doing a transfer function. Correct. Now, to segue into what Kyle was saying, um, it's, it is very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, if you look around, you look on, you know, spec sheets, you look on, uh, uh, on, on the web and stuff like that for in-ear monitors or headphones, they'll show a frequency response range, but, you know, very, very seldom, and us included, uh, would you see a frequency response graph for in in ears or uh, or headphones, and the next slide I'm going to show you here. These are uh, four in ear monitors that we've uh, tested, including our own, and they range in price from sixty dollars to eight hundred dollars. And that's your uh, you know that's your frequency response graph uh, you know through the through the through the TM2. They're all you know they're all weird. <laughs> <laughs> if you were if you were putting this by comparison of, of a um, you know of a transfer function measurement that you've done on a loudspeaker, you would throw this loudspeaker away. But for in ear monitors, again, factoring in the effect that your head has, your ear canal, your station tubes, everything else that comes into play there, um, they all sound good. You know, all these sound pretty darn good. 
Um, they're all very similar as through the mid-range. They all have slightly different high-frequency uh, characteristics and definitely different low-frequency characteristics. You know, again, it's no one IEM is perfect for everybody. You may want one with more or less bass, more or less mid-high, you know, um, and more or less mid-high bump, but uh, they're all good. But if you're looking at them, they all look pretty weird. I think you'd have to agree. Well, the, I mean, the thing that's really remarkable is that the trend is very clear here. You know, I mean, this is this is fundamentally the same story. It was funny. One of the uh, forums the other day, someone put up a, a measurement of, I think it was actually the one of the KZ's models that you were discussing. And, um, and, and the reaction is, yikes, right? Because like you said, we're used to measuring speakers and near fields and stuff. And so when you, if, if your PA is doing this, you're like, something's broken here. But this is this is how IEMs look. You know, this is uh, this is what they look like. And so it's, it's this really, you know, for me, a lot of this is, will they look like that every night? Will they yep. continue to look like that? Or if all of a sudden doesn't look like that, I know I, I need to address that. Right. So we're talking or about if, if, while on tour, if someone's having issues and you think a driver may have failed, if you had a trace of that, you can then put it on there and check, make sure see if drivers have failed. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it, like, you know, the rental shop I work with, we sweep all the boxes once a month, right? So and I keep that data. So if, if something starts coming up differently, we know that we have a problem, we can address it, we can go back and say, oh, this speaker was fine the last three times, and now it doesn't match. So we have an issue. And so you're basically, you're doing the same thing here. So whatever model you pick, whatever tonal characteristics it has, the fact that we can now say, hey, is, is it consistent? Is it working? he was hearing something weird. Was he just having a weird night? Did he have a bad seal? Did we blow a driver out? And also, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take a guess because Steve, I haven't seen your data, but I would wager that on a lot of IEMs left and right, don't tell the same story. (laughs) Yeah. Fred can speak to that. Yeah. We have, we have noticed that. Yeah. That's one of, that's a quality control thing that in our own stuff, now that we have this tool, uh, you know, that we're really striving to achieve is equal response between left and right, just within, as close as you can possibly get it through hand selection. Yeah. There it is. Yep. Accountability. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's funny. How many times has an artist walked over to you and said, Oh, my left sounds weird. My, the right sounds great. The left sounds weird. It's not like you can stick their mold in your ear, you know? Right. right. So this is, amazing yeah. i knew i knew you guys would freak on this that's why uh <laughs> well it's funny because kyle you kept you kept talking about it and talking about it and then i'm you know i'm talking to chris at the office and chris chris tenjuris has been working on it from from the rational side of things a little bit and uh so i kept hearing about it i kept going man what are we gonna see this thing so i'm i'm pretty stoked but you know it was funny the other day exactly what you're talking about i put on just regular old pink noise and it, one of one of pairs of my IEMs, and I'm like, wow, these things don't they don't sound the same on both sides. So like this nope. this is real stuff, you know. These this is a real uh, a real factor that we have to we have to consider. You yeah. know, is manufacturers going to start um, thinking about phase traces because now we can see them? You know, we can see what's going on. We can see what's getting canceled in there. Is manufacturers going to address the left and right like you guys did? Oh, our our right one is a little bit different. Uh, obviously the rattling of our head makes the noise different anyways. So it'll be a little bit coherently different for each person, but this will make it a lot closer starting point for everybody at monitors. Yep. Phase response uh, is now obviously easy to see as is uh, impulse response. And that, that kind of comes into play. I've noticed that just playing around with it uh, with some of the multiple driver units that are out there, that gets a little, Mm-hmm. It's a little weird, too, in the impulse response of multiple driver units, just by nature. But again, the end result is maybe perfectly fine and acceptable and desirable even for the artist that is choosing that multiple driver unit for whatever reason. But at least now you can see it and uh, you know, kind of have a point of reference to evaluate and compare. Um, I think uh, to, uh, to give just a little bit of uh, uh, credit to the manufacturers of these IEMs, we, we have to at least consider that when you're using multiple drivers, uh, be it three, four, or even higher numbers, and then you have another set that goes into the, to the left ear versus the right ear, trying to match up all of these drivers, the, the exact build and having them all be identical is really a tall task. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's almost uh, uh, tough to do that and, and to expect that. But what this does allow you to do is if the different differentials are minimal, you can try to EQ those in. Makes sense. 
Yeah, and I think about, you know, if you say, well, I, I, so, you know, I have a six-way in-ear monitor. It's a four-way in-ear monitor. Like, okay, I have a four-way loudspeaker, and I'm going to build it. I'm going to get it to sound good, but I'm not going to measure the phase of any of the drivers. I'm just going to go for it. Like, that's <laughs> that's crazy stuff, you know? So um, especially when it's something that you're jamming in your ear canal. I mean, that alignment, uh, that phase response, how those things play when you're getting into the filtering the different ways, that is very, very important and has a huge effect on how this thing's going to sound. Um, so like you said, I mean, the fact that you can quantify this now, I think, you know, not only is it good for us, the end users, but I mean, I don't design IEMs, but I would imagine that, that I mean, y'all design IEMs, so you can speak to this, but I, that's got to make your job a little bit easier, right? Being able to actually measure the stuff you're working on. Uh, yes, but that, <laughs> but that lab-grade product has always been around. It's been around for a very long time. So we do have, and we have had access to the uh, to those products. I think the difference, when, when we started developing the, the TM2, we realized that trying to take this truckload of equipment with the cost that you had mentioned earlier, but additionally, the complexity of all the pieces that go together, uh, that's what the TM2 incorporates, this integration of all these products into a relatively, uh, well, actually quite compact, but also roadworthy type of a, a, a product that can go out in the field. But it, again, as the drivers get small uh, versus speakers, those differentials in the build become more and more difficult to, to, to uh, keep consistent. So uh, we, we have to be fair to all manufacturers of IEMs here, not also not have expectations because we see a slight difference. We have to ba basically accept those. And, but now we can see them. We can see them and try to adjust for them. I mean that's that's kind of my whole deal, just in a, in a very broad sense, uh, in my systems engineering work. You know, I'm not going to tell a front of house engineer what tone they're going to tune. Like, do whatever you want. Like, I'm not the EQ police, but I just want things to be consistent. And so I take, you know, I really take the same angle here, which is you get show up to the gig with whatever IEMs you want, whatever you know ones you feel comfortable. I I, I just want to know what you're working with, and if I know what what you're working with if i know what's in my signal chain then i can i can deal with that you know i think that's to me having that knowledge is the important thing yeah and on tour you know with smart you know you do this you mentioned it you do this in the shop with loudspeakers you keep these things archived i mean smart's great with that as are most of the other test and measurement programs that you'd be able to have that reference either locally or on the cloud to be able to quickly pull up and and see what they were when we started day one of rehearsals versus 12 weeks into the tour kind of thing you'd be able to quickly pull those references and check them out that's the other cool thing that i need to get better in my file management and smart but it, it, it has the capabilities to do that yeah i got some, i got some tips for yeah, you man <laughs> email me but i can see this you know when you see those little a2 stations backstage and they've got all this stuff laid out for dealing with the, the iems i mean this unit is tiny it's a tiny little thing that would fit really well in a, in a bench uh mm -hmm. set up and you can really quickly be able to, you know, uh, diagnose stuff and, and do it. I, you know, I could see it being part of a, uh, you know, I do a pre-show checkup where I plug my ears into every pack and I spray left, right out of every pack. And I'm looking for patching reversals. I'm looking for pads. I'm looking for EQs on the pack. And I, I that takes me three minutes to go through my whole band's rig like that. But I, I could see adding, checking the actual IEMs themselves into that sort of, you know, the pre-flight uh, routine there, because why not? It's tiny. It's easy. It's right there. Yep. so fun i i want to do it chris you want to do this i mean it just <laughs> yeah, it's gonna make it so fun well i'm curious too like, have you guys tried testing um have an artist wear them and play a set and sweat into them and see if you see yeah. any differences you know after that i mean that, i think that would be interesting as well to see gross ear sweaters and wax makers <laughs> yeah uh i've pulled some stuff these are my personal ones here and i've pulled some stuff out of there you don't want to uh. see uh yeah but uh, that's just that's the, the sweaty shows. No, I, I haven't done any before and after kind of test, but the point is yeah. now you can. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's 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 cool. No, I think the um, yeah, like you said, just knowing knowing what you're working with. Um, so I, you know, like to me, this would couple couple up with if if someone had their hearing test, right? So you have their chart, you have this, and you couldn't have a better, you know, um, uh, you know, curve to shoot for. If if or I mean, like, hey, I know I have a deficiency here. I know this. Right. I know this manufacturer does this here. Maybe without even having to do EQ, I can suit you better with an IEM that fits your thing better because we now know what those traces look like. 
Yeah, I think it's, yeah. you know, if you walked up to a, a system engineer and you said, here, um, we're going to rock PA system, and I'm going to put two EQ filters in your signal path, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> right? So w- with IEMs, you have, you have the person's hearing response that you don't know what it is unless they bring you an audiogram, and then you have the response of the IEM that you don't know what it is unless you measure it. So, so the IEM thing is tricky because you have two really big unknowns in that signal chain, and, and the only way you're going to know is if the artist tells you, hey, I, you know, I'm not here. And the in challenge there, which we've talked about on the show a ton of times, is that oftentimes you'll have an artist who knows that something sounds wrong, but they don't know what's wrong, why it's wrong, how to fix it. And we have Shocking. to, yeah, we have to get in their head a little bit. Um, Steve, I, I have, a, you know, you've been talking a lot about IEMs. Uh, you mentioned headphones. Can we measure headphones with this thing too? Um, <clears throat> I can't say right now. <laughs> <laughs> no fair. When, okay. So when do we expect this thing? I know it's, uh, it's getting there. When, when do we going to see this thing on the street? Production is done. Uh, we're West, we're just finishing up some uh, documentation to go along with it. So by the time this airs, you should be able to get one from your local Audex dealer. Sweet. <laughs> we're actually airing this tomorrow. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're live. We're live right now. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> yeah, I got to write owner's manual tonight, then I guess. But uh, yeah, the, the product was actually ready in January, believe it or not. But I think with all with everything that's been going on that that everyone's aware of, uh, we just took a pause and mm. uh, and uh yeah everyone yeah. took a pause it's crazy yeah you yeah. picked a good time yeah. so uh, so i'm curious um you know obviously audix isn't really known for headphones yet i'm gonna say yet hey man we've had them out for three months now. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm 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 curious a maybe what was um other than just another product line what what drove you in that direction and what there had to be something completely different in going this route than doing microphones. What was it like shifting to doing that? Well, um, with, with our IEMs, uh, being dynamic drivers, uh, and that's what we focused on is try to do basically take our microphone knowledge and technology and the, on the dynamic side and apply it here. Um, the headphones are the same thing. It's uh, frankly going up in mass is is much easier than going down in mass. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that it is difficult for manufacturers uh, of IEMs. I gave that example of when you take multiple drivers and 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 and, and the assembly and the build and try to get consistency, tight consistency uh, is is tough. Um, for us, having worked with low mass drivers for many, many years, uh, you'll find that a lot of microphone manufacturers do have headphones, and it's it's the knowledge, it's the understanding uh, that that takes us there. Uh, it's it's an easy product to transition to. Um, so that's really what it was. It's it's something that we've we we actually had product development with headphones, quite good headphones. Uh, about uh, oh, going back thirty years, um, and we have those prototypes here, and they're still when we when we worked with this, we took those out of the closet, and they are still fantastic. They could be marketable today. Like Kyle, he, you know, he's been around that long. He's still marketable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Have you ever done a, a gig with a DJ and they actually use the headphones as a microphone? You ever seen that? <laughs> Please don't. No, don't no, I, do that. I just, <laughs> no, no. Get it. I just talked about this on our, Kyle, you weren't there, our episode with uh, Ike, where when, oh, when, yeah. I, when I was in recording school, um, just to, just as a learning experiment, it was like, hey, you know, these things are transducers as well, you know? I mean, and we literally had to take headphones and stick it on a B3 and mic'd up a Leslie. Just didn't sound like shit, of course, but, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, Only but, sounds good at a roller rink, bro. I mean, Only sounds good at the I mean, it might have sound better if I had these back then, but, you know, it's, you know... Uh, but. The point is that they're transducers. Yeah. 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 And Audix has specialized in transducers since day one, so we're just... Uh, there's pushing air the other direction, right? So uh, it's passion, and uh, I'm real proud of what we got. Uh, I've been, uh, Kyle knows I'm fairly new with Audix. I've been out um, talking about the product since uh, the summer when I started, 
first part of the summer. And uh, it's really neat to see people's eyes light up when they put the headphones on, when they try one of the new microphones. These are, by the way, quick plug. These are the new uh, studio condensers, the 133s. Uh, we also have the 131 that's the same mic without the switches that we're using for the podcast here tonight just for fun. Those just those just started shipping two weeks ago. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun stuff coming. And, uh, well, you guys have used OMs through the, through the years. It's a great product, too. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to the D6 inside hey, my kick drum. Hey, yeah, I, baby. I, I will do a little bit of Kyle history. So okay. Audix, Audix was the first company that endorsed me as an engineer. Wow. Yes, sir. And so. then they came to, then what happened? They came to one of your shows and heard you mix. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are, we are rocking the, the we got our, we got our uh, A150 headphones on here. And I, I have to say they're quite comfortable. Uh, I do. I do. Cause you know, you get a lot of sweaty ear stuff happening when you're on yeah. zoom all day. So uh, we do appreciate that for anyone who's not on, on the video is listening to this on audio. Uh, Check check these headphones out, man. They're cool. We dig yeah, them. I, I get yeah, I got to mix. I got to mix a show with them for the first time this past uh, weekend or two weekends ago, whatever it was. Um, and um, so it's funny. Yeah, I've, I've just been listening to these knuckleheads. Uh, uh, and by these knuckleheads, I mean Michael and Kyle. Um, uh, with these, you know, hadn't really been able to like, you know, listen to a band and listen to inputs and stuff. And so it was really cool to actually get to use things to mix. You know, and I, I, I told these guys, my, my honest feedback, you know, very comfortable. You know, I I I like. The low and extension doesn't seem, you know, it's not a beats. Let's call it what it is. It's, you know, it's not another super uh, bump on the low end. Um, and uh, my only like, my only feedback was just a personal one of like, when I'm mixing, I like to drop my headphones down to my down to my shoulders, uh, and um, I like folding my headphones towards my chest to kind of mute them and move my have my head around. And these ones just happen to fold the other way. You know, put them on so, put them on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like left right left right reversal. <laughs> <laughs> just reverse your polarity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Innovation happening in real time here on Signal Noise Podcast. Man, guys, thank you. Thank you for uh this down. This is really cool. I'm I'm really I was excited about it when we talked about it before, but seeing seeing it is is really neat. I'm certain that our listeners are going to be interested in uh in this and uh I hope that like like you said, by the time this episode hits the streets, I think people will be able to check these things out. So, uh, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to getting, getting a unit, getting my hands on it and, you know, doing all the horrible things I do to measurement gear in my office, uh, but lo- lock them in a closet somewhere <laughs> and get Michael Lawrence. Yeah. Dude. Thank you guys so much. Thank for you being- so much, gentlemen. Yeah, thank, thank you. For- you guys. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yeah. Keep up the good work. <laughs>